And if you will, take your Bibles, keep them right there in the book of Jude. Today we're finishing out our series in Jude called Deconstructing Deconstructionism. Just talking about these people that we see around us in our culture who are either redefining what it means to be a Christian and going back, not forward, but backward, or those people who are just walking away. And sometimes we see that and we say, God, what do we do? How do we respond? And that's why the little epistle of Jude is so important and so valuable. And so as we've walked through it now for a few months, just going through verse by verse, I hope that it's edified you, strengthened you, helped you to think through and deal with the things you see going on in your culture. So today, obviously, is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all our dads out there. I hope you know you're a dad. If you don't, happy Father's Day to you, or if you self-identify as a father, happy Father's Day to you, whatever it is, all right? But we're, we're thankful for our dads. I'm thankful to be a dad. I'm thankful my dad is here listening to me preach, and that's just a blessing to honor this day for our dads. And it made me think, as we were getting started, you know, we have all these holidays to help us remember. Because as human beings, there's just something about the constant need to be reminded. And we know this from school. I mean, you know, school, it used to be, I don't know if it's this way anymore, they'd teach you something in first grade and then they'd just kind of remind you in second. And then they'd go to third grade and you'd do multiplication and then they'd remind you in fourth. And it was kind of like the odds were, were giving you new stuff and the evens were trying to remind you. And it's that way even when you get to college, like you took all these history classes and all these science classes and then you get to college and what do they make you do right off the bat? Okay, you got to take history and you got to take biology and you think didn't I just cover this for four years in high school yes but we constantly need reminders so we have Thanksgiving Day that reminds us to be thankful we remember the birth of Christ the death of Christ we honor our mothers and then we reflect on our fathers and just like we need those days to remind us sometimes we also just need the simple reminder that no matter what's going on God is a loving heavenly father to his children. And today when we open Jude and we look at the doxology, the very end of this passage, we're reminded that God loves us. And that's good. That's good because the truth is I go through seasons in my life and you do too. The writer in Ecclesiastes 3 said for everything there's a season. And so sometimes we're in seasons where we're really close to God And other times we're in seasons where we're not. And it's not that God's moved or gone anywhere. He hasn't gone anywhere. It's that our heart usually is going somewhere. So we're struggling at times. Maybe you're in a season where you feel really close to God. And he's really spoken truth to you. And that's good. God hasn't moved. You're where you need to be. But maybe you're in a season where you think, boy, it's been a while. And I feel like I can't hear God. I feel like my relationship with him is stagnant. Well, that's good too because God always graciously meets us. And one of the ways he's meeting us is he's saying, I want to just remind you who I am. I'm a loving heavenly father. And so as we come to the end of Jude, Jude ends this book on a very high note. He spent countless verses 24 to be exact, telling us about these deceivers that come into the church, 
these people who have crept in unnoticed, these deconstructionists who have deconstructed their faith, these what we would call today ex-evangelicals or what he would have called an apostate. But he spent all this time just leading us through what that looked like and how we deal with it. And as he closes, he says, now, let me remind you of the most important thing. Let me end on the mountaintop. The mountaintop is this. God the Father loves his children. And that's what you need to hold on to. As you think about deconstruction and the culture and all these people redefining and walking away, you need to think about a God who is a loving Heavenly Father who holds His children. So today, as we read Jude's doxology, his praise, his prayer as he ends his epistle, I just want to ask you this question. When you read Jude's doxology, what kind of a father is God to his children? What kind of a father is God to his children? I believe Jude gives us some very clear examples of what kind of a father we serve, no matter what season we're in. And it's good to be reminded of these things. All right, so number one, we're told about God the Father. And we're told that if we're his children and we belong to him, that instantly he has changed our status. Now, if you're following along on the handout, that's the first blank. He's changed our status. And I want to begin there because this is so important for us to understand as believers. It's really the foundation of everything else that follows. Now, if you'll just notice in verse 24, Jude begins this ending doxology like this. He says, now unto him. Who is the him? that Jude is talking about. That's God the Father. Now unto him who is able. God the Father is a loving heavenly Father to us. Now just shoot down to verse 25. And I want you to notice how he describes him, God, to us in even deeper language. He says things like this in verse 25. To the only God the only God. That means creator, sustainer, almighty God. Don't be confused. This is not one God among many. It's not one God among the pantheon. This is the only almighty creator of heaven and earth. Notice what else. He calls him our Savior. Our Savior. Who's our? Now unto him who is able to keep you. Who's our? Who's you? Well, you are the beloved. If you're in Christ, you're called beloved. Three times in this little epistle, Jude uses the word beloved, and that word beloved means that God's love has been set upon you. So if you're a child of God, his love has been set upon you. You are beloved, and he is the God of the universe, but also your Savior, the one who loved you, put his affection on you, and sent his Son to die for you. And notice when he says our Savior in verse 25, he's not yet talking about the Son. He's talking about, I believe, the Father. He's saying the Father is the only God creator, the Savior. Because the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Then notice after he says that, through Jesus Christ our Lord. How did he save us? He did it through the Son, through Jesus Christ. So what is, what is Jude communicating here? He's saying, listen, if God is your Father 
and you're his child beloved, then the beautiful truth is your heavenly father has changed your status. He has changed your status. You're no longer an enemy of God, which is where we began when we were in sin. You're no longer just acquainted with God to some vague degree. You are a child of God. Now, look at letter A. He's changed our status how? Well, first of all, very important, our relationship with God has changed. He is now our Father. Our Father. Now, the Jews would call Him that, our Father who art in heaven. But we're told in Galatians that when Jesus Christ died, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons and because we are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts to cry Abba father that's Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 the beautiful truth is this that God sent Christ to be our savior to live under the law so that we could become children of God we're not just acquainted with God. We don't just know about God. We're children of God. Our relationship status has changed. He is now our Abba Father. So you don't just look at God as the Muslim does. The Muslim says that God is Allah and God is impersonal. So they'll do their, their five chants. You know, there's, there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his true prophet. And they believe that God is a distant, impersonal God. But what the Bible teaches us is that God is not distant and impersonal. He wants to adopt us and become our father. And so our status changes from just a worshiper to just somebody coming to bring something to God, just somebody coming to observe God, to somebody adopted as sons who've been saved by the only true God, and our status is now He is our Father. But notice the next thing, letter B, our rescue. He's our Savior. He has saved us from sin. He has saved us from rebellion. He has saved us from running away from Him. And the only God, the Savior, did this through Jesus Christ our Lord. God initiated our change of status. And He sent His Son to save us. So, so let me just start right here. If you are a child of God, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in Christ, then you're not just an observer with God. He is your Father and He is your Savior and that is your relationship with Him and your status has changed. Now unto Him, who is the Him? God the Father. Who are you? A child adopted into the Father's family. The only God, the Savior, who saved us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what Jude is saying in this doxology. And this is important. This is very relevant to everything he's been preaching through this whole epistle. Let me give you an example. If God is our Father, how do you think that he's going to react if anyone comes to try to snatch us out of his hand? If God is our Father and we are adopted sons and daughters through Christ, how is God going to react if anyone tries to come and snatch us out of the Father's hands? Well, I'll tell you what I would do as a father. If my children were lost, I'd never 
stop looking for them, ever. If, if they were lost and never recovered to my dying breath, I would not stop looking for my children. You ever been there with your kids? You just had one of those moments? We've had a lot in our family. I don't know why. Our kids tend to disappear uh, a lot. And uh, over the years, you think that I would calm down about this, but, but I don't. It, it's getting better as teenagers, but uh, when they were little, they would get lost a lot. I remember this one time, I, I think it was maybe a Saturday, and we were all at home, and all four of our kids, now, again, they were little, and so they were little, little people, little minds, you know, and they were all out in the front yard of our neighborhood, and they, the four of them were playing together. And you know how you, you kind of look out, and you see them out the front window, and they're all sitting there playing, doing something in the front yard, and, and then you glance up again, literally seconds later, and they're gone. They're gone. And so Amanda comes, I remember, and alerts me and says, Mark, I can't find the children. And I said, oh, well, they were just in the front yard. She said, well, they're not there anymore. I said, well, I'm, I'm sure they just moved to the backyard. So we went to the backyard, and we looked in the treehouse, and we looked all over, and we called their name, and they weren't there. Now, I wasn't panicking yet, okay? And I said, well, they're probably inside, and they just somehow got past us. I don't know how four little ones got past us, but they got past us. And so we go inside, and we search every room, and we go upstairs, and we think, where are they? And we can't find them. So still not panicking yet, but getting a little nervous. I call the neighbor. I think, well, maybe they just went over to the neighbor's house. They're all friends with their kids. We call the neighbor. No, we haven't seen them. We haven't heard from them. We were busy today. Haven't even thought about it. So they're not at home. They're not in the front yard. They're not in the backyard. They're not in the cars. We go look there. We look every possible place we can think. All four of our children have disappeared. They're not at the neighbor's house. They're not down the street. I'm starting to panic. So I tell Amanda, let me get in the truck and I'm going to start driving around the neighborhood to see if I can find them. You do X, Y, and Z and see what you can do and see if they come back. So we split up. We're on a mission now to find our kids. It's been about 10, 15 minutes, and they're nowhere. Nobody knows where they are. The neighbors are looking. The neighbors don't know where they are. Everybody's calling their name. Now I'm panicking. I call 911. And I said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I've lost all four of my kids. And I would imagine somebody would bring them all back after 15 minutes, but I've lost all four of my kids. Now, now you know why I'm nervous, because sad to say, we live in this weird world now, do we not? I mean, when I was a kid, I would ride my bike all over Red Oak subdivision and into the Walker's land of acreage, and nobody thought anything about it, and I'd be gone all day, and we'd come back late at night, and nobody ever said, where were you, or what happened to you, or anything. And I mean, it was just great. But, but nowadays, you know as well as I do, I'm terrified to let my kids walk from our neighborhood to this place right here. I'm like terrified. We live right there. Because I don't know really what's out there anymore. And there's so many people that are kidnapping kids and abducting and doing all these rings. And I'm, I'm just like, no way. Absolutely not. We do not live in that world any longer. And so here we are. We got little kids. And I'm terrified. And I'm thinking somebody has abducted all four of my kids. Like they pulled up 
to the driveway, and they must have grabbed all four of my kids. That's, that's all I can imagine and think. And, and I'm driving, and the police are like, we're on the way. We're going to come out. We're going to do a report. The neighbors, everybody, and finally, finally, somebody says, we found them out in a field. They're all in a field. We had this abandoned, large field at the back of our neighborhood. And somehow, the four of them thought, like good little dwarves from Snow White, they were all just going to walk together, whistling while they work, and make it to this field in the middle of the day. I mean, you know how relieved we were, right? Mom's dad, you been there? Like you lost your kids and you're like, oh, thank God. Thank God. But I'll tell you this, as a father... I was alarmed, I was alert, I was ready, I would never stop. Why? I'm their father. And I would never stop looking. And I want to tell you that if I, as an earthly father, would put that much into searching for my children, me, as a sinner, saved by grace, would put that much energy into searching for my kids, don't you think God the Father is going to do so much more for the people whom He's adopted and called His own? So when you think about destruction and deconstruction and walking away from the faith, I'm here to tell you that does not happen to people whose status has changed. It just doesn't because our relationship with God is now father and child and God doesn't let go easily. He doesn't let go at all. He loves us and pursues us and watches out for us. Number two, What kind of a father is God to his children? What kind of a father is God to his children? Well, let me say this. He keeps them secure. Not only does our status change and he's our father, but he keeps us secure. Now, notice how Jude puts it. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Right there in verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He is able... He is able. So letter A, he alone as God is able. He alone has the power. He alone has the strength. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not principalities, not powers, not demons, not anything in creation or heaven above. Listen, if our status has been changed, we are secure. And he is able. To him who is able, absolutely strong enough, able to keep you from stumbling. And that's super encouraging. When you read through this epistle and you read about these deceivers and you read about deception and you read about apostasy and you say, well, could that be me? And what's going to happen to the church? And then you look around the culture and you say, everybody from the past, man, they're walking out of church. They're redefining. They're joining these denominations that are denying the scripture. They're walking away from the faith that was once delivered to the saints And it's very scary when you look at it that way and you say to yourself, man, are we in danger at all? And I'm here to tell you, if your status is with God and he's your father, you are secure. He is able. He is able. And and he's able because letter B, he's invested. He's invested. You say, how is he invested? Well, Romans 6.23 says this, and it uses money terminology. It says, the wages of sin is death. The cost 
of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is able to keep us from stumbling because first of all, he's God and he's able, but secondly, he's deeply invested in us. I mean, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You don't give your most precious gift and give it to people and then say, well, you know what? I'm willing to let that go. No, it's an investment. It's an investment. God sent Christ, and Christ in his blood is precious, and Christ in his sacrifice is precious, and God doesn't just let that go. And it's important for us to understand that God is able and he's invested because there's a lot of people that are going to tell you, you know, you can lose your salvation. Now, I do believe there's people who are not truly saved who are deceived. I believe there's people who have misunderstood the gospel. I believe that it's very important for the church to get the gospel right. I believe that the reason why many people are deceived and have misunderstood the gospel is because a lot of churches don't preach the truth. They do ditties on Sunday morning. They do fun little sermonettes and things like that, but they're, they're not going through Scripture. We need to go through the letters of, of the New Testament. We need to go through the Gospels. We need to go through the Old Testament. We need to look at the verses. We need to look at the Scripture. We need to say, what does it say? What is God saying to me? And, and just to be frank, I mean, if we're not discerning, sometimes we don't catch. Bible verses are just sprinkled on like salt and pepper. But it's not supposed to be salt and pepper. It's supposed to permeate the whole dish. It is the dish. And so, a lot of people have misunderstood the gospel, and I certainly believe that. But I'm going to tell you this. There are people out there preaching that once you have been truly born again by the power of God, that somehow you can lose that. And if you're truly born again and the status is there, you can't. You're secure because He is invested. I remember years ago, my wife and I were celebrating an anniversary and I took her to a, a different town, and we went out on a date, and, and after we went on the date, we went to see one of these movies, and after we got finished with the movie, we walk out of the theater, and there, right at the edge of the parking lot of the theater in this Houston city were all these people, nice-looking people, and they had all these signs that they were holding up, and they had Bible verses on them, and they had Bibles in their hand, and I mean, it's like nine o'clock at night. And we walk out of the theater, and I thought, oh, Lord, they're here protesting this vampire movie we just saw. And it was one of those vampire movies where the vampire falls in love with the girl who, you know, just looks seedy and looks like she always needs to take a bath. You know that one. And so we're, we're watching this vampire movie where the guy, vampire, falls in love with the trashy-looking girl, and the werewolf's like, I'm going to fight you for this. And I never saw Frankenstein. I don't know where he was, but um, we're there watching that movie, and I think, oh, gosh. They're out here protesting this. This is like a Harry Potter, right? And so they're, they're calling us sinners because we're watching the vampire movie. And so um, I, I'm ready to take it. And so we walk out, and I, I just can't resist. So I had to go up and say, hey, what are you guys doing here? Are y'all here to see the vampire movie? And they're like, no, no. And they didn't even know the vampire movie was on. And I was like, oh, okay, well, forget I said that. I said, uh, what are you guys doing outside the theater? And there was this real sweet lady that started the conversation with me. She was young. She was so nice. 
she, she was interested in what I was saying. I was interested in what she was saying. Amanda was right there with me. And suddenly this man comes over. He's probably her husband. He comes over and, and just the whole mood changes from any kind of civility to sternness. And this man begins to tell me that, according to Romans 7, that if I don't constantly crucify the flesh, then I'm not a believer. If I don't live perfectly, I'm not a believer. That it's up to me to live the law of God. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not a believer. And so basically what he's saying is, you've got to be perfect or you're going to lose your salvation. And I remember looking at both of them, and I just with, with compassion said, man, well, you know what? If that's the case, I don't have any hope. I don't have any hope because no matter what I do on my worst day, on my best day, I'll never fully live up to the demands of the law. Isn't that why Christ came? Christ came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And, and, you know, they were like, well, that sounds very good, but according to this verse, and they were just pulling verses out. And I remember as Amanda and I walked away, Amanda said to me, I feel so oppressed. Like, I feel so discouraged. Yes, that's what that kind of teaching does. And you could just see it on the, the young lady's face. She looked so discouraged. Can you imagine that that's the way you live your Christian life, where you think it's all up to me? See, there's people that are going to teach you that even though you, you have the hand of God, that at any moment you can choose to let go of it and walk away. But that's not true. My hand is in God's hand, and he is firmly gripped to me. When my kids were little and we would come out of the supermarket and they wanted to dash to the car, I didn't just lightly hold their hand and let them go. I grabbed them and was willing to break their arm if they were going to run out into that traffic, right? whatever it took. See, God is able and he is invested through his son and your salvation does not depend upon your works. You're saved by grace. Now you live righteously because you're saved by grace. You have fruit because you're saved by grace, but he's invested. Last thing, let her see, he alone indwells. He alone indwells. Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. How does he keep you from stumbling? Well, he's able He's invested through Christ, and the beautiful promise of Scripture is that he gives the Holy Spirit to come and indwell every believer. If you're a believer, you're in union with the Son, Jesus Christ. You're adopted as a child to God the Father, and you're indwelled with the presence and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, you tell me, if the Trinity has done all this work to save you, how could it be that you could lose that? You are secure because you are in the grace and the power and the strength of God alone. See how secure you are? Isn't that a beautiful way to end this epistle on deception and danger and deceit to say to us who are beloved, your status and your security is so different because of God the Father and how He's a Father to you. Let me go to the very last thing. The last thing, number three, is He enables them to stand. Now again, the question is, what kind of father is God to His children? You want to know what kind of father God is to His children? You just look at Jude's doxology in verses 24 and 25, and I think you get a pretty good picture. 
Now unto him, him who? The God, the Savior, who through Jesus Christ saved us and, and adopted us, who is able. How is he able? Well, he's physically able, spiritually able. He's kept us. He's indwelled us. But now look at this. He enables us to stand. To stand. That's the next blank. Notice what he says after verse 24. He's able to keep you from stumbling and, the second part, present you blameless before the presence of his glory and with great joy. He is not only able to keep you in this life from stumbling so that you don't fall prey to these things that Jude has been talking about, but he is also able to cause you in his presence to be able to stand. Now, it's almost like Jude is talking about the now and the not yet, right? He's able now to keep you from stumbling in this life. He's invested in you. He holds you. You're not going anywhere. If your status with him has gone from God to Father, you're secure. But then the other beautiful promise is that when we do ultimately stand before God on Judgment Day, on whatever day, when we stand before God at the end of time, we will stand in his presence. Because he's going to make sure that we make it all the way to the end and he's going to present us to the Father. He's going to present us as righteous and holy in his sight. You see, we're even secure when we enter into eternity. And that's, that's saying a lot. That's saying a lot because the truth is, I know my heart. I know who I am. I know my failures. I know my weaknesses. I know so many times I fail God. And yet the promise is, is that God is going to take this life of mine and he's going to sanctify me and mold me and shape me so that one day when he presents me to the Father, I'm going to be able to stand in his presence. 1 John chapter 2 talks about this just a little bit. I believe it's verse 21. It says, um, let us not shrink back at his coming. Some people will shrink back, okay? They'll draw back. They won't be able to stand in his presence. But those of us who have been redeemed, whose status and security are kept in God through the Father, through the Son, through the Spirit, when, when we ultimately stand before God, all of our imperfections will be covered through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, covered through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I remember, you know, I like history. I'm real weird about that. That's kind of my pastime. And I was reading a book not long ago on the atomic blast in Hiroshima. And the accounts that were given of these survivors were absolutely amazing. But one particular account, this, this young little boy says that he was swimming in the river and he went down, I guess, to the bottom of the river. And when he, when he came back up, I mean, in that quick of a time period, the blast had gone off and he saw people running toward him. Now, these were his words. They looked like plucked chickens running toward me. I mean, they, they were burnt. They were like, a, you've seen a chicken that you're getting ready to roast. And that's what they looked like. And he said, I, I had no idea what was happening. 
All these people were running to the river begging for water. And what saved me from looking like that was I went down into the water. And I, I guess, you know, who knows the, the blast, where it hit, where it burst, the angle. He was just protected. He was protected. He, he was covered. And I think about that and think about when we stand before the almighty presence of God. I don't think it's, it's a stretch to say God's presence is greater than the sun, greater than any star, greater than any atomic fission or nuclear fission or, or whatever the case may be. I mean, when Moses was in the presence of God, remember this in Exodus? What happened to his face? He shone brightly because he was in the presence of God. The people noticed that about Moses. And I think about when we stand in the presence of God, no one can stand in his presence alone. If you think you're going to stand before God one day and offer your works to him, you are so wrong. The nuclear blast of God's holiness will fry you. The only way you are going to be able to stand is you've got to have a shield around you. You've got to have a covering. You want to know who that shield and covering is? Christ. It's Christ. I mean, he covers you. So when I say that you're going to be able to stand to him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, his glory, that blast with great joy. I mean, you are going to be presented before the glory of God covered in the sheath of Christ and his righteousness. And when he sees you, he will not see your emptiness. He will not see your unrighteousness. He will see Christ filling up all your emptiness. He will see Jesus covering you. And this is beautiful because the promise here is that for everybody that lives in a world of people deconstructing, if your status is with God the Father, you are secure and he will enable you to stand in the presence on that day in front of God the Father in all of God's glory. So letter A, he presents us pure when we stand before him in his presence. Letter B, he presents us pure in his presence. What a glorious message, isn't it? Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless in the glory of God the Father. What a mountaintop. What a mountaintop. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you call your children beloved in your presence that your love is set upon us. Lord, we thank you for this glorious offer and promise that all who come to you through Christ find true life. Lord, we pray for anyone here who does not know you as Father, who has not been adopted through the Son, who does not have that status, that they would, they would run to Jesus this morning. They would see Christ as glorious and beautiful, and they would run to him this morning and be saved. And we pray for the children of God who do belong to you, that they would love you more and worship you more because they have heard about your goodness and what a good Father you are to us.